Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of our podcast, Is Breakfast Included? How you guys doing? I hope everyone had a great holiday and a happy new year, and I'm glad you're here for the first episode of 2023. Wow, we made it. On the show today is my good friend Aiden Mullen. Aiden is a guitar tech, bass tech, and guitar player who's been in this business for over 30 years, playing guitar for such artists as Eddie Money and Colin Ray. He's been a guitar tech or bass tech for the likes of the Eric Martin band, uh, Aerosmith. He's currently Rick Savage's bass tech on Def Leppard. He's been in that role for many years. He also guitar teched for a band called Metallica. You guys may have heard of him. Anyway, he shared a story about Metallica that he doesn't talk about very much publicly. I was very honored that he chose this forum to talk about it. Uh, you'll have to listen, but it's it's not a happy story. Anyway, uh, at the end of this episode, you hear us saying Merry Christmas and, and Happy Holiday and stuff like that. That's because we recorded it right before Christmas, and I chose to leave all that in because it was just a good conversation. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Let's check it out. Tell everyone who you are. Well, my name is Aiden Mullen, and uh, I have been a guitar or bass tech for, gosh, a long while. Uh, <laughs> and I'm currently employed by uh, Rick Savage with Def Leppard. Right on, man. When did you uh, when did you start in this business? Uh, 1984. Uh, I was living in Northern California, and I was working for a, what could be described as a high tech startup in the Silicon Valley area. It hadn't been named that yet, um, but I read uh, BAM magazine back then, Bay Area Music Magazine, and it was kind of like a local entertainment newspaper for the San Francisco Bay Area. And I always started with the classifieds, uh, you know, looking to see guitars for sale and things going on. And, and uh, of course, I played in bands since I was 13 years old. Um, and I saw a little tiny ad that said the Eric Martin Band, which was a very popular high-level club band back in the, the mid-80s. Yeah, yeah, uh, Eric Martin, Mr. Big, right? Mr. Big, yes. yeah. The Eric Martin band is looking for a guitar roadie and I'm on my lunch break and I'm reading this little ad and I'm looking around me. I've got my soldering iron and my cutters and pliers, and resistors and capacitors and wires and all this crap laid out in front of me at work. <clears throat> and then I thought, well, you know, I can tune a guitar. Um, I know what one is supposed to sound like when it's in tune. Um, and I certainly can fix one. I'll give this guy a call. And uh, the name on the ad was Zeke Clark. And I don't know if that name rings any bells. Um, Zeke actually now works for Kenny Chesney and resides in the Nashville area, uh, kind of near me. I met but, Zeke when he was with Leanne Rimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, he's got uh, Sammy Hagar experience, uh, Van Halen experience, a bunch of others. But he was kind of like Eric's right-hand man. Mm -hmm. um, and you think I would be able to get him to call me back from this ad. <laughs> Not a chance. Um, and so what I, I did some investigating and I learned that Eric was handled by a gentleman named Sandy Einstein that worked for nightmare management with Herbie Herbert, who, you know, also journey and, yeah. and uh, you know, a lot, lot of, lot of other talented folks. So I called Sandy at his office. He didn't know who I was. And I said, look, man, this guy Zeke is 
not returning my calls uh, and I want this job. What do I need to do? And uh, he said, uh, you give me a couple of hours and then I want you to call him again. <laughs> and, and I, and I did. Uh, and he had spoken to Zeke in the meantime uh, and they ended up hiring me. Um, so I started off with Eric uh, and the, the other fellas uh, making $50 a show, gave up my lucrative career at this high tech startup uh, and never looked back. Just started doing clubs in Northern California, then down to Southern California. And then a few months later, Eric broke the band up, decided to do a solo thing. Hmm. So Zeke and I, Zeke got us together, uh, the two of us, a gig with another Bay Area band called Billy Satellite, who had a record out at the time that actually had a single on the radio, Satisfy Me. Um, and also on that record was a song that the singer wrote called I Want to Go Back, which became a huge radio hit for Eddie Money. Yeah, yeah. So Zeke and I went out. Uh, we got in a rider truck and drove equipment from Petaluma, California to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and did our first show opening for Night Ranger. And that was 1984, man. That was Midnight Madness. Yeah, yeah. And that was, and that was, that was me on my way. You know, no, not looking back. Not looking back. Not for, not for a minute. So, uh, this high tech startup that you left is it? Is it someone we had heard of or a company nope. we've heard of now? Nope. Just, okay. Nope. They, no, they went. They went under shortly thereafter. So you made the uh, right call. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, you know, everything happens for a reason, man. I'm a firm believer in that. You call it kismet or karma or whatever else. But I was, I, you know, the only reason I did this, I should qualify why I wanted to do it in the first place is because at this point in 1984, I was, what would I have been then? 20, something like that. Uh, 22. Uh, I always wanted to play guitar for a living mm -hmm. for my career from, you know, um, I used to drive my folks nuts, uh, with it. And I, I started playing in earnest at 13. Uh, so the Bay area, the San Francisco Bay area was not an easy place to, for, a, for, a, for an unknown, uh, newcomer, whatever you wanted to call it mm -hmm. to break into that scene, you know? Um, so this was a way for me to break into the scene and one thing leads to another as it does. And, you know, quite a few years later, uh, I actually had the opportunity to play guitar and play bass for a better part of seven years, um, uh, in my transitionary period, I guess you'd call it mm -hmm. moving from the Bay area to Nashville. I did. Uh, about three years, three and a half years with Eddie Money. Uh, started off with his acoustic show and worked our way back into the electric segment and ended up switching to bass at that point, another instrument that I'd fudged about with. And then uh, after moving to Nashville, I took a, a gig, you know, not knowing anybody here, but my Best, one of my best friends, Brian Gary, who was in Eddie's band with me, mm -hmm. had moved down here. And uh, 
his wife one day called me and said, there's this guy named Colin Ray that needs a guitar tech. Uh, you know, I, I know it's not a playing gig, but it's a, he's a great guy and he's a great singer. I was familiar with him. Ended up getting that gig. And a couple of months into it, one day I was called into the back lounge of the bus and thought I was getting fired. But instead, I was told that I would be becoming a band member and they would hire another tech to take my place. All right on, man. So I spent another three plus years with Colin Ray here in Nashville at a time in his career where he was just churning out number ones, man. It was it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Early, early mid 90s. Uh, yeah, he was point. he was he was huge then, man. But yeah, uh, yeah, I you know I, I wish he had been uh, as enthusiastic uh, about interfacing with the fans because he 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 was kind of a I don't know how you describe it. He super super talented, uh, amazing texture to his voice, um, but just I, I got the impression that he just didn't thoroughly enjoy what we were doing hmm. and he would be consistently late and, and and you know not i'm not at all trying to slag the guy i love him to death i haven't spoken to him in a while but you know he's he's had some hardship in his life um and who's to say you know um but i i did thoroughly enjoy both of those experiences and and that was the reason i bring it up is because i'm equally happy now equally as happy now doing what I'm doing, not playing, mm -hmm. but working for some top notch fellas. Uh, I do my best to enjoy what I do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Eddie money, Colin Ray, those, those names are huge, especially at the time when you were yep. performing with them. What, what was the first tech gig you got with like a, a huge major, like what coming out of Colin Ray, is that well, when you started your tech work again? Well, well no, yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. That is when I started the tech work again. I, I would say things started happening for me fairly rapidly, I guess in the beginning. Um, once we were done with uh, Billy satellite, um, we, we ended up doing the the remainder of the Midnight Madness tour with Night Ranger, and then we jumped immediately onto uh, the Jefferson Starship uh, nuclear furniture tour. And again, that was, you know, find your way back and all that stuff was, yeah. you know, all over the radio. So we did that for another few months, uh, came home, and then that was kind of it. Um, Billy Satellite sort of took a break. Um, we're contemplating another record, I think, at that point. And you know, we need to, you know, we need to work. Um, and uh, I got a call asking me if I'd be interested in working for Y&T. Okay. And Y&T at the time had, this would have been by that time, you know, summer of 1985. Yeah. Um, summertime Girls. Summertime Girls. They were a Bay Area right. band, yeah? yeah? Yep, yep. East Bay, Oakland. uh San Leandro, that kind of area. Um, and uh, another one of my favorites back when I was learning how to play, you know, Dave Minichetti, man. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, I saw them when they were called Yesterday and Today. I saw them uh, at Winterland in San Francisco. 
Um, and one of the few times in my entire life where I went out the next day and actually bought a record based on a show I'd seen. Um, and they were, you know, they were a favorite of mine. So I was, you know, again, I'm, my first gig with them is at Day on the Green in Oakland. Wow. And we're backstage. It was uh, Scorpions were the headliner and Ingve uh, uh, Malmsteen's Rising Force was on it. And we were up the ramp. This is at Oakland Stadium where the A's play baseball still to this day. Um, and I heard this just egregious cacophony of noise. And I've uh, my musical tastes were always very polished. A huge Journey fan when I was a kid in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. Um, you know, huge Boston fan. Styx was another one back in the day. Um, so I was into the slickly, you know, produced melodic, you know, nice rock and roll, you know? And so I hear this noise and I just, I, 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 I'm compelled at this point to walk down the ramp out onto the stage to see what in God's name everybody's listening to. And, uh, it was Metallica and I didn't know what to make, (laughs) The day on the green Metallica day on the green Metallica. Yeah. It was the day that they got in trouble with Bill Graham for trash in their dressing room um, among other things. Um, and I just remember at that point thinking, Oh my God, you know, I, there's nothing about this that I understand. And, and that was literally it. That was literally it. And then I want to say two or three months later, I get a call from, uh, Adam Day, who is a, a friend of mine, uh, has been since the old Y&T days. We worked together with Y&T. Um, and he said, hey, uh, Metallica have called and asked me if I want to work for them. And I'm I'm real happy working with David. And he was on, I believe he was on retainer and I wasn't. So I was just on a per gig basis and they weren't working a lot. So the next thing you know, Bobby Schneider is calling me. And uh we're talking, and the next day I'm put on the phone with James Hetfield, and we talk for a few minutes. And again, I'm you know early twenties at this point. Both of us, you know, we're pretty much the same age. Mm-hmm. We have a long conversation uh, on the phone, and then the next day I get another call from Bobby saying we're going to fly you to Nashville or Knoxville, wherever it was. We're opening for Ozzy Osbourne, and we'd like you to come out and work for us. And that's how that happened. So that was the uh, ultimate sin tour, right? It was. Yeah. Yes, it was. And uh, they were winding down at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a couple of weeks left in the States. And then uh, very little time to get together. And then I was told we'd be going to the UK and Ireland and and, uh, Europe. And I was excited because I spent a lot of time in Ireland growing up and, and always love it there, but I had never been to continental Europe, certainly. Um, so I was very excited about that. So we all got on a Pan Am flight from San Francisco and flew over and began rehearsals in Birmingham, uh, in a little theater there and, uh, got to know those guys, uh, real well, real well. And, didn't really know Cliff very well, um, but when we flew over, uh, 
he was a smoker and I was the new guy and they needed somebody to sit in the smoking section with him on the airplane. So uh, I got the nod and, and back when there was a smoking back section. when there was a smoking section. Yeah. 747. And uh, Bobby uh, <laughs> last week, as we, I, I brought that up, you know, and he says, no, nah, there's no way that I would have done that to you. <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, it must have been a windup. And I, well, whatever it was, uh, I sat next to Cliff for that flight um, and had to endure, you know, being surrounded by people puffing away. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I've, I've never smoked uh, a cigarette in my life. And it was it was pretty awful. But it was also the time that I got to know Cliff. And by the time we got off that plane, uh, I, I would like to think that we were friends at that point, uh-huh. which was which was awesome. He was I found him to be very different than his persona, you know, um, and and I think that, you know, his outward appearance and attitude and. Uh, aggression isn't the right word because that's a negative word. This was more of a positive, aggressive confidence, uh, a confidence, but, but a tough confidence. Yeah. an aggressive you know? confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 but when you'd sit down with him, it, you, that wasn't the person you were sitting down talking to. It was just like a calm, uh, normal, well-adjusted, easygoing, laid-back guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so my opinion of him at that point changed forever. And, of course, you know, we, we went over to Europe, and this was – they were on fire, man. They were they were poised to, to, to do it at that point. All indicators were that this was going to be, you know – one of the biggest bands in the world at some point. And they were just a bunch of kids. Yeah. So, you know, we went over there and we did our rehearsals and, and all went well. Uh, we started our tour. We got through England, uh, Scotland, uh, Ireland, and then got over to uh, Scandinavia. And unfortunately at that point, um, things went horribly wrong and you know as you know um there was a a bus crash that took cliff's life mm-hmm. and uh, i was on that bus with him as we were all on the bus it was band and you know basic crew on that bus together and um everything changed in the blink of an eye um and bobby schneider again talking about this for the first time ever um, publicly of, you know, friends and family. We've discussed it over the, over the years, but, you know, and invariably at a show or somewhere, somebody will come up and say, I just realized that you're that guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I was, I was injured in the accident and spent a few days in hospital there before I had a chance to fly home. And by the time I got out of the hospital, everybody was long gone. Everybody was home already. Uh, Peter Mitch, 
Um, Metallica's one of their two managers actually flew um, to Sweden and rented a car and drove me to, when I got out of the hospital, drove me to Copenhagen and got me onto a plane the next day and got me home. Wow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was, um, it was a, a horrible, uh, unexpected, tragic, what I thought was an end to something that had so much promise. Yeah. And again, you know, speaking with Bobby and, and, and I've never had this conversation with, with anybody in their organization other than last week um, on, uh, on Joel's podcast, Bobby and I were, were guests together. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I, I would tell him, I would say things that I remembered and he would say things that he remembered and, we kind of put it all together and I, I owe him literally uh, my life because I was in the process of suffocating um, under the bus when he saw my feet kicking and realized that I was under this pile of rubble and he was leaning in through the emergency hatch. The bus was on its side at that point and yeah. reached in and, and started pulling uh blankets and pillows and suitcases and crap uh, off of me, off of my head. And when the light, it was morning uh, at that point, early morning, and when the light finally came into where I was pinned under this, this coach, um, I realized that there was a fellow laying next to me, um, and I realized it was Cliff. And about the only thing I remember verbally from and 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 <clears throat> after that, it, it kind of I remember them trying to lift the bus up and drop it again and cutting and dragging and all that that goes along with it. But I remember Bobby saying to me, "Relax, you know, we'll, we're going to get you out of there." And I said, "Bobby." Get, help me, help me so that I can help Cliff. And the last thing I remember him saying was, don't worry about Cliff. We'll take care of him. And, uh, and, and that's when I realized that we had a, we had a pretty major issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, uh, that's how that all transpired. And weeks later, all of a sudden, we're looking for a bass player. They've decided to, uh, they've decided to pick up the pieces and, and, and go with it, you mm -hmm. know? And then of course the rest of that is history. We met Jason. I actually picked him up at the airport for his audition. Wow. Um, and, uh, so we, to this day, uh, we do, we, we speak to each other now and again. Um, but I knew in my heart the day that I met him, that he was going to be the guy. Um, and I'm happy to know that I was right. Yeah. yeah. Let me, yeah. let me ask you a question. If you don't, how long did you stay with the band after? So after we did, after we did Jason's first run, um, 
Japan and, and then, you know, back to Europe and, and States and stuff. Um, I opted to leave. I decided at that point and I spoke with Bobby about it and I said, look, I, I really need to try. I really need to, to try playing for for my for my food for my 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 rent for mm -hmm. my you know i need to try it uh, it's what i've always wanted to do um and i need to you know i i'm very careful to keep the two things separate because i feel that they need to be separate mm -hmm. um so bobby said what do you want to do do you, do you think you want to leave and i said you know i think i have to leave right now so i did and uh Next thing you know, at that point, I was living up in Northern California, up in Sonoma County. And uh, I uh, I got a job at Mesa Boogie, <laughs> of all places, in Petaluma, California. And uh, before you know it, I was on the phone as their artist relations rep, talking to rock stars, mm -hmm. uh, helping them, helping their techs with, with technical issues uh, on the phone, going to shows demoing gear for people so it was it was a cool gig and then shortly thereafter i got the eddie money gig so it it all kind of it all kind of worked you know yeah a little, a little bit and then you know the, the, the eddie money time with eddie money man was uh like being in the best top 40 band in the world you know yeah yeah every song's a toe tapper uh you know and, and i i was a fan of his so I thoroughly enjoyed every minute that I had with that band. Yeah. Uh, I made some great friends, um, people that I'm close to, to this day. Um, and, uh, got a chance to show myself that I had at least a little bit of what it takes to be able to do that. And then, um, t towards the end of my tenure there, uh, I met my wife in Toledo, Ohio, uh, at an Eddie money gig. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so at that point she moved out to California. Um, things weren't going great w with the gig. We were doing some crappy places and, and attitudes were changing a little bit. People were getting a little bit grumpy and, and, uh, so when my, then girlfriend moved out to California from Ohio. I ended up quitting the band uh, and uh, going back to work for Mesa Boogie for a short period of time. Was still up in Sonoma County. Mm -hmm. uh, and one day, my buddy Brian Gary, the keyboard player that that worked with me with Eddie, uh, had moved down here. He called me one day and he said, "Man, what are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I guess you could say I'm not doing much at all." And he said, you ought to come down to Nashville. There's a lot going on, a lot of gigs. It's cheap. Uh, you know, all this long list of reasons why. So, uh, you know, we talked about it on our end. Um, and it was, hey, what do you think about moving to Nashville? And uh, Angel says, sure, let's go. So literally, the next thing you know, we're getting rid of stuff and piling the car up and, and doing our Beverly Hillbillies in reverse. <laughs> and we, uh, again, it's a never look back situation. 
Um, life out here is is a lot different. It's a lot slower. It's a lot. Well, at the time, it was unbelievably cheap by comparison. Yeah. Um, not so much anymore, unfortunately. It's getting a little crazy out here. But it was it was the right move, and uh, went to work for Gibson for a little while. Um, you know, working on play testing and inspecting guitars before they'd leave the factory. Uh-huh. Then that, that Colin Ray opportunity happened shortly thereafter. So I think I was at Gibson for maybe six months before that Colin Ray thing popped up. And you were with Colin, you were with Colin for about three years, you said? Uh, three, a little over three years, I think, if, if memory serves, I'd have to like draw out a timeline to be certain. But, um, and then in October of 1999, I get a call one day that was totally unexpected. Um, Colin has decided to downsize and we don't need you anymore. Uh, myself and another fella, uh, Tiger Bell, that played fiddle with him uh, and guitar, uh, we were both let go. And uh, we had just bought our first house. My son was one at the time and all i could think of at that point is oh crap i gotta we're gonna have to sell the house <laughs> you know I, I i i didn't know what else to think at that point and uh i don't remember who initiated the call but i ended up on the phone with one of my friends at mesa boogie and it, it may have been me calling saying hey if you hear of anything yeah let me you know as we um, do, as we do, as we do <laughs> once or twice. And the fellow that I was speaking to said, have you spoken to Zach the last few days? And I said, Zach Harmon, Metallica, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. You should call him. <laughs> and, uh, I did. And, uh, the next day I was rehired to go back to work for James and within, uh, I want to say, a week or so, I was on a plane to Berlin to do uh, a uh, symphony, Berlin symphony uh-huh. gig with Metallica uh, before they did the, the, the symphony record. Uh, no, after they did the symphony record, of course, because I, I had to cram <laughs> listening to that stuff for the better part of a week, trying to remember arrangements and uh-huh. You know, cause they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, high pressure. Um, you know, you gotta be a, gotta be a pretty talented button pusher to be able to do the switching for those fellas. Yeah. Um, and it didn't get any easier after that saying anger and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, so that, at that point, that was pretty much it for me. You know, uh, I had made the decision and been, the decision had been made for me, obviously, but I, again, it's a, a never look back situation. Um, I'm perfectly happy doing what I do, and I, uh, I have a better life, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I get paid better looking after somebody else than I, I did having somebody look after me, for sure. <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I'd never, I'd never not do any of it. You know, looking back at all of it. Yeah. Um, let me let me ask happy. you something. My our yeah. current our current tour 
our, our current PM on, on Duran. It's a guy named A.N.R. Peterson. I interviewed him as well. He had a very similar career to you. Like he played, he, he just got these calls. He played with Cle- Kelly Clarkston, did all these stadiums or, you know, the huge tours for 10 years. And then, and then now he does, you know, stage managing, techie and whatever he uh-huh. has to do. And, yeah. and I asked him and he's like, I'm very fulfilled. Like I did yeah. everything I wanted to do musically. Do you feel the same way? Like you got to. I, yeah, I do. I do. Um, you know, I, I still get to, I still get to hold an instrument every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, as we, as we get on into our golden years, uh, what, what was, uh, there was a comment, uh, on your Facebook post yesterday or the day before. Um, and I think I followed on with another comment, but it was, you know, a couple of old school fellas right there, you know, and I, I never, uh, ever thought of myself as a, an old school roadie but i guess that's what happens when you've done it for 36 years you know yeah. i don't look at myself like that i look in the mirror and i go what the hell happened <laughs> well i wanted not to make light of the situation i guess when jason came on board of metallica you guys first tour you guys did was monsters of rock there yeah and that with- was that was uh well we jason started um we went to Japan and, and elsewhere uh, before that happened. Oh, okay. And by that time, then, I had made my exit. Uh, and Andy Batty, who had left back in the mid-'80s, uh, came back. Oh, okay. So you weren't uh, with them on, on that tour? No. And then I, I came back. So the timeline gets a little confusing for me sometimes, honestly, yeah. Bernie. Uh, I was asked to come back in the middle of all that. Um, I did the second half of the Metallica Guns N' Roses stadium tour uh-huh. somehow, somehow sandwiched that in. And I, I kind of, I remember where I was living and I, I was living there when I was playing with Eddie. So I, I think what I did was, I can't remember if I, if it was after before, must've been before. That was the black uh, album, the, the Guns N' Roses. Metal- uh, it was still part of the, the black album cycle. Yeah. 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 So and they had, uh, they, you know, they had the use your illusions out and all that. Yeah, nonsense. yeah. That was I was, so cool. I was going to say, you guys or Metallica played the Cotton Bowl in Texas, part of this tour with Van Halen, Dawkin, Kingdom Come, and I think I, Bachman Turner Overdrive. I'm not a fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but me and my buddies, we, you know, we had seen Metallica. My first concert was that tour of them opening for Ozzy on the oh, Master wow. Puppet Store. But I remember us trying to make our way back there and a bunch of roadies, roadies running us off. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's probably you. <laughs> no, no, no. No, actually, no, I, I I wouldn't have been at that show. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have been at that show. That was the that was the monsters lineup or a part of the monsters lineup. So yeah. I wasn't around at that point. Uh but yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been you. <laughs> Zach said to me one one day we were in Dublin at the RDS and um, believe it or not, my mom and dad, my, my mom still lives in Ireland. I lost my dad a couple of years ago, uh, but they, uh, they lived in the same house in the Irish countryside for the last 27 years. I want to say, uh, uh, and they came down uh, for the day <laughs> and hung out at a Metallica show. They, they've been to several shows, um, that I've done in Ireland over the years. 
but this was a big outdoor uh horse ground park like setting and uh and they came down and i had a couple of cousins i got a lot of cousins over there um but you know we're setting up during the day and i'm stringing explorers you know and the stagehands kind of gathered around me you know looking at james's guitars obviously they stand out in the crowd and a couple of them were asking me questions and you know why do you stretch the string that way instead of this way you know stuff like that and i i've never ever had a problem speaking to people uh answering questions mm -hmm. i have no problem doing it and zach came over and said why do you got to be so nice to these people get them the hell out of here <laughs> you know and and it was just it struck me as funny yeah you know that he ran he ran them off <laughs> from from the guys that were helping us on stage you know but yeah um with with a career like yours you said 30, 36 years 34 years well, eight, 1984 to wherever we are now. Where yeah. are we now? So, yeah. Um, more I mean, than that. I don't we could talk about your gigs all day, man, and probably run into the two, three hour mark. <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what, what is it about this type of, what it is? Do you consider yourself a roadie or a tech? That's the big question in this industry. I have always considered myself a tech. Mm hmm. And, I can qualify that, I think, easily by saying that I have a, a fair bit of technical, quote unquote, technical experience. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, yes, can I tune a guitar? Sure, I can tune a guitar. Um, and I can polish one and I can maintain it and I can, you know, make sure the neck is straight, and make sure the frets are level and, you know, all that. But more importantly, um, I've always leaned on my technical abilities learned early on from my grandfather who was an electrician and then on to my my little high tech uh uh job there in california where i was working on gear that was being sold to the military at that point hmm. and i was you know uh, uh a lead on an assembly line and i was the guy that was responsible for making sure that all of the wires connected to where they were supposed to be going and that you didn't have a resistor that was sticking up out of the PC board improperly or not connected, or you didn't have a, a broken trace on the backside of the board after they came through the, the wave solder machine and, and things of that nature. Yeah. So that, what that did is that kind of led me into a very OCD, ask anybody that's worked with me, uh, <laughs> ask Bobby Schneck. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I, I, I took my inspiration from Bob Bradshaw, uh, one of the most wonderful people in the entertainment industry. Um, but I would see his work and I would look at it and I'd say, all right, that's what I want to do. I see what he's doing here. I'm going to try it this way. And over the course of the years, I guess I've been lucky enough because of my OCD qualities to have the opportunity to either fix or improve upon something that I've been handed uh -huh. or literally start from scratch and build it. And, and, and that's the most fun that I have. Um, when I was hired to go to work for Tom Hamilton, uh, that was in 2010, Def Le Leopard were taking a year off um, 
and it just, you know, one thing led to another. I got a call and uh, got hired. And the very first thing I needed to do with him was try every stinking base amp and cabinet manufactured that we could get our hands on. Um, and we spent a week going through, and I mean, I've got photos and video of this massive mountain of base amps and cabinets from all these different manufacturers. Um, and we'd go back and forth and back and forth. And then Captain Crazy Pants would come in and say, no, 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 that's not right. You know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, and then he'd run off again, you know? And so, you know, we had that to contend with, uh, but we, we finally settled on what he's using. I believe he's still using the stuff now. Um, but then the next ta task was to start with the building blocks and, and put it all together for him. Yeah. By the time I was done, he was very happy. I was very happy. Everybody else was very happy. Um, and I, I've just kind of done that, you know, whether it's um, in excess, I got hired uh, to go to work for NXS. One of my first jobs was to build a secondary system for them that they could send out and, uh, you know, uh, dug right into it, man. It's just, it's, it's, it's what I do. Same thing with Sav with Def Leppard. Yeah. Um, you know, he was in a transitionary phase when I met him, he was still using Ashdown stuff, but he was interested in trying some other stuff. Um, but wasn't ready yet, you know, um, and then went to work for Tom. I said, Sav, you got to try this gear. He tried it, hit a couple of notes and said, make it happen. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wiring two complete brand new systems, uh, AB systems as, as you'll know, and not necessarily most of the listeners would understand that yeah. in many cases, we've got two complete systems worth of gear crisscrossing around the world yeah and and actually saving money doing it that way you know the the money that you spend on that second system is recouped by being able to send something in a sea container rather yeah. than you know air freight and all that stuff so. exactly but i've been i've been fortunate with the majority of the gigs that i've had uh to be able to dig in and get my hands into so to long-winded answer to your question yeah I, I look at myself as a as a tech. Right on. I, I do, and and I'm very happy about that. You know. And well, you know, you and I shared that gig. Well, not quite shared it. We both did the same gig for Tom Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I remember when I got it, I was I was nervous. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. you know, I I get nervous at any gig. If I get called to do a gig, I agree. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'll be there, and then I just spend weeks worrying about it. Oh, but, really? Yeah, and then I could not get a hold of the, the, the tech at the time. But I remember uh, Greg Howard saying, call Aiden. He built the rig. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so you used the double wide then. Yeah, yes. okay. Awesome. Yeah. How did yeah. it work for you? It did. It worked fine, man. Everything worked yeah. great. It was, you know, it was a very, it, it wasn't, you know, a head scratcher. Okay, yeah, and, good. Well, and, yeah. You know, uh, uh, a tour manager we that I toured with, we had a monitor guy that wasn't quite up to snuff. And I remember him explaining to me, in a way, this was very early on, so I couldn't really criticize anyone else's work. But he said, you know, most guys, you have to know how to get from A to B to C. 
Yeah. He goes, some guys just know how to get from A to C. So when something goes wrong, they, they, and that's what we had in this monitor guy. So that's how I look at rigs. Like if, you know, A to B to C, um, and and no, no. So it did to answer your question, the rig worked (laughs) fine. Okay. (laughs) You know, and, and it was, um, it was, uh, probably, I don't know. It, it could be simpler now, but back then that's what we had to work with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in a, a land now that we're using these, uh, Axe FX threes for everything. Um, and, um, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing that a, a three rack space unit, um, takes the place of absolutely everything else. I know. Right. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and listen, that technology is, I'm, I'm thankful that I have, uh, you know, some computer savvy tendencies as well, because mm-hmm. man, you know, I know guys that, and it's, it's no slight to them at all. That technology is just not for everybody. You know, I would admit, are, I would admit it takes me a while to get my head wrapped around it, but all it takes is for it to click and then I'm okay. But, right. You just got to have, and, and, you know, in our business, we don't always, we're not always given the time yeah, <laughs> that we would like to have to to learn a new format, a new platform, uh, new technology. We're just expected to to do it. Yeah, um, and that happened to me. You know, back in the Axe FX two days, I did some work with uh, Guns and Roses, uh, and they were they were using the twos, and there was no computer involved. We we were programming that stuff from the front panel, and man. Uh, I'm sure there might be a few folks listening to this that can sympathize because that is not what you want to do. Yeah. So it was it was frustrating. And for me, it was frustrating. It was I'm banging my head against a wall because I I want to know how it works, you know, and, and, and I don't have the time. I've just got to hunt and peck and hope for the best. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And these days it's, it's you know, I, I don't know if your camp, but like in our camp, everything's about the weight, how much it weighs. Well, so, yeah, and and you know, I'll be honest with you in that regard. We're we've been we've been very lucky in that our guys have been so. Uh, what's the word I want? They Sav has never. Um, I, I've just I've just done it. I've just done it, mm-hmm. and, and he and he flies in. And I hand him a base and I say, here's what I've done this time. And he'll hit a few notes and he'll just grin at me, you know, and, th- and that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, he actually asked me, we were in Abu Dhabi last month for the finals of the F1 race. And I couldn't believe it. He asked me to add a little bit of treble to the sound huh, for the show. And it's the first time other than, you know, maybe a level check because he still listens to cabinets on stage. He doesn't yeah. wear ear monitors, you know? So he actually asked me to change the tone of things. And that's for the first time since 2002 that he's done that, hmm. you know? So I, I thought it was pretty funny actually, but um, he's given me basically carte blanche. I, I'll fire him off an email and say, Hey, listen, uh, I found these new power amps. I can put two of them in the rack. They'll take the place of three, three space amplifiers and they're going to, they're going to weigh next to nothing. We'll save some dough. It'll cost X amount to start off. And he just sends a note back and says, make it happen, pal. I'll see you in a couple of months. Right on, man. 
you know, so I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard. Yeah. You're right. You are. A lot of, a lot of bands, um, you know, the bottom line is how much is it going to cost to move it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it kind of breaks my heart because it, it takes all the fun out of it. <laughs> it does. It does. And that's why we have the A and the B rig. And that's, you know, but, um, during, during, that time when no one was working, a lot of people left and started other careers. And we have a lot of new faces doing what yes. we do. What what kind of advice would you give somebody new coming in as a, a guitar tech, bass tech, a backline guy? Well, I, you know, I would say ask every question that pops into your head and don't feel, don't feel less for doing it. Um, you know, there are some guys that have, that have left. Um, and I'm, I, I refused. I refused. I did get my real estate license. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dabbling at that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that, that was my opportunity when we were forced to uh, stop working basically. And my wife just said, Hey, you've always wanted to do this. Why don't you try it? So I did, but my advice to those guys is don't be don't be cocky because you've just landed a great gig with a band um, that you didn't have a year ago because somebody else has left. Yeah, go into it with humility, which is what I've always done. Go into it being willing to listen to what everybody has to say. You know, if it's the monitor engineer or the drum tech or the stage manager or, you know, somebody else that has nothing technically to do with what you're doing. And this applies to drum techs and bass techs and keyboard techs and and monitor engineers and everybody else. Listen, ask questions uh, and 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 ease into it, ease into it, because a lot of bands that are finding themselves in the position of losing people that they have relied on for years are not happy about it. Yeah. They're not happy about it. They're they're, You know, our job, you know, this, our job is to make sure that our guys walk on stage with a smile on their face or, or as close to that as you can get yeah, on a yeah. nightly basis. That's, that's it. Right. You know, they, they've got to be comfortable. They've got to feel good about, the fact that you're on their team and you got a lot of these bands that are missing their favorite tech that worked for them for 40 years. And in their mind, they're thinking, Oh my God, how am I going to do this? Yeah. So being, you know, learn from anybody and everybody you can. I've always done that. I always will do that. Um, you know, I don't know everything. I'll ne- I never will know everything, but I, I've never been afraid of asking somebody for advice if I thought I needed it. Yeah. And, and you know, that, I, I guess if that answers your question adequately, I would say that that would be the most important thing is go into it with your eyes open, your ears open, your heart open, and, and learn from everybody you can. And that's going to help you make your guy more comfortable down the line. I think. No, no, man. Answered my question completely. You know, I, I feel the same way. Even, even like I got into this industry late. I was in my thirties, uh, when I got into it. Um, 
but I was very fortunate to cross paths with some some veteran techs who just took me under their wing. And yeah. I always think about that when someone asks me a question, you know, how to answer it. I always try and treat the locals, you know, as equals. Nine times out of they know that that building better than you do. You of know? course. And um, you're gonna you're gonna be relying on them to help you when exactly. And so yeah. I, I feel the same way. Um man, uh how do you feel about the touring industry right now? The state of the touring industry. Well, um nobody ever asks us. I, nobody <laughs> nobody ever asks. No. Um, you know, uh I I am 60 years old this year and I still can't figure that out. Um, but I saw some truly amazing life-changing shows and experiences back in the seventies. And I've done a fair bit of research to find out what touring was like back in the seventies and, and, and into the eighties. And you can imagine the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I caught the the tail end of that a little bit. I think that I'm, I find, I, I, I feel that I'm very lucky to have lived through that era of music. Some of the shows and, and the records that I owned and, and the experience that I, the experiences that I had were amazing, but I see it now as it's, it's obviously a business it's a, a money machine. Um, it is, it's still, it's just, it's handled so differently. And one of the main things that a lot of folks don't realize is that back in the seventies and eighties, when an artist did a record, they would put that record out and then they would go out on the road the next day. And the whole reason for them to be on the road was to promote that record so that people would buy it. And that's when you had your, your decades of platinum and gold and silver records actually meant something mm-hmm. back then. Now the, the, with, and, and I, I have some experience with, so I worked with Peter Frampton for a while and I actually made a trip with him to Washington, DC and got to see the the Washington D.C. juggernaut uh, in real life and see what it what it was. And uh, I didn't go home too happy from that trip. Um, but we were there with Paul Williams, um, Rob Thomas was there. Uh, who else was with us? We were lobbying Congress to change the way that artists are paid for. Uh, downloads and likes and listens and things, whatever you mm-hmm. call it. The streamings. Streamings. Yeah. And when we were in, we, we, we met with two Republican members of the house of representatives and two democratic members of the house of representatives. And in all four cases, we were sitting in their offices in the Rayburn building and I was there as as Peter's assistant, right? Um, so I didn't get involved uh, almost at all with the conversations. I did get a chance to to ask a couple of questions and answer a couple of questions. But primarily, what this was was these guys, these industry heavyweights, Paul Williams, yeah, and 
you know, he's he's the head of uh, I want to say ASCAP publishing, yeah. right? Yeah. So we were there to beg these legislators to look at what's happening and and try to change because all the all the regulations and and rules that apply are all based on old 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 circumstance. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but Peter Frampton said to one of these guys, to give you an example, my song, Baby, I Love Your Way, was, um, what's the word the kids use these days? <laughs> it was downloaded. Yeah. Uh, like a million times over the course of a period of time. And he got like $248 wow. for that, you know, now and, and I'm, I'm making the numbers up. But the disparity was so great that every, everybody in the room, it just went silent. It was like, you're kidding. Right. And, and, and no, he wasn't kidding. Uh, it's, it, it's brutal. So what has happened, the biggest change that's happened is that it's gone from touring to promote a record to touring to make a living. Yeah. And it's, it's all about, it's all about money, good and bad, but you know, you've got your VIP packages that sell a seat for $750, you know, (laughs) and you get a picture with the band and you get a little glass of champagne and some, some, uh, finger foods some Ellie Mae's lady fingers or something, you know, and then you, uh, and then you go sit in your seat down in the front and you have a great time and, and you've just spent $750. Um, and there's actually repeat offenders. You know, this probably as well as I do, you yep. see the same, same faces down there six, seven, eight times during a tour. You yep. think, holy, holy cow. What, you know, are there kids able to eat, you know? Um, but it's, yeah. So, that, that's the biggest change that I see is that it has it has become in the strictest sense a business. You know, it it always was. There was always money flowing and and income and all that, but the, the, you know, it's it's changed now to uh, a, a business that is the. The fun aspect of it. I mean, I, I, I still, I try to have fun. You know, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't enjoy my life if I didn't. You know, uh, and we have a, a core group of folks in our crew that, you know, we're on the phone looking for the closest Irish pub. You know, <laughs> as soon as we, as soon as we get off the bus, kind of a thing. You know, um, and and we all go together and we all hang out. And, Next thing you know, we're on the news for, you know, how, how much whiskey we drank in a bar in North Carolina. And, <laughs> and then that gets syndicated and picked up on CNN and Fox News. And and next thing you know, we're famous, you know, <laughs> but but so so we do our best to to keep it light because otherwise, man, it's it's too difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, know? you start thinking about something above your pay grade. Yeah. You know, it, it, it does. It does become not fun. You know, I've yeah. been I've been in those situations a couple of times where I just have to take a step back and go, "That's not your gig. That's not yeah. for you to worry about." You yeah, know, you just got to make sure that guy's 
happy. That's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's rough. You know, this last year, um, we had we had a big tour that that most people know about, um, and it was it was from a physical standpoint, it was pretty brutal. And you know, again, we're all a little older and and a little wiser, I like to think, and we plan things out pretty well. But just the physical beatdown of working in a stadium uh, in in August in the South, and all of a sudden, you know, there's lightning and yeah. rain and thunder, and and you know, um, and you know, just not just the weather, but just the the logistics, how far the stage is from the trucks, and how far the dressing rooms are from both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you watch these people whizzing by you in a golf cart, you know, you're limping at that point, you know, uh, because you've walked too much. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, it takes a lot out of you. It takes, takes the, it takes the fun out of it. That's the part. That's the part that no one sees Yeah, or even thinks about. Yeah. All they think is like, Oh, you've been to a lot of places. You get to hang out with rock stars. Yeah. (laughs) And, 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 and they're right. You know, and I'm look, I'm, I know that I'm blessed to have had this career that I've had and that I have, thankfully. Um, I've seen, I've seen a million places and I've helped to rock them all, you know, (laughs) uh, it's, um, you know, I've been to, I've been to places that I love Australia, Japan, New Zealand, uh, Europe, uh, South America, all these places, you know, I love traveling. I, I don't necessarily, you know, love having to schlep my stuff from one hotel room to another, to another over the course of six or eight months. But I love, I, 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 I love what I do. I love who I do it for. The logistics of it are very, very hard on me sometimes physically, yeah. mentally, emotionally. Um, but I get to spend days off in places like Lisbon and, and, uh, you know, just uh, Tokyo and Osaka and Perth and uh, Adelaide and, 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 you know, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, you know, all these exotic uh, destinations, but I get to do that. And how many people in the world don't get a chance to, to leave home? You know, I know that's, I look at it like that. I always say um, there's so many people without jobs and there's so many people with jobs who hate their job. Yeah. And I have this great job that not only do I get to play with guitars all day, yeah, but man, I've been around the world a few times on someone else's yeah. dime. Yeah, and, and you get to listen to girls on film every night. Yeah. <laughs> you know how to you. you know how to piss off a Duranius, tell him your favorite song is "Hungry Like the Wolf." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we uh, our front of house guy uh, would would play the intro to that through the PA. Uh, literally every day. Um, and it was because Chad Taylor, our drum tech at the time, uh, I, I don't remember the exact circumstance, but yeah, I, you know, you hear that little laugh, that little giggle, yeah. you know, and oh man. And then uh, next thing you know, everybody's doing the eighties dance on stage, you know, <laughs> but I, I, I'm telling you, uh, and, and I'll say this out loud in front of all these folks is that I'm a firm believer in Def Leppard and Duran Duran touring together one day. It would be a great tour, man. Oh, man. Can you imagine? You know, and they're all friends. 
I know. I've Joe came yeah. to our show in Dublin and hung out yeah. all you know the entire day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know I I saw them. I saw them during the heyday. I saw them at Oakland uh, Oakland Arena next to the stadium, and the reflex was the the radio hit, and I remember sitting there going, "Where's the water?" <laughs> I want to see the water come out of the video screen. And all I could hear was the little girl screaming. You couldn't even hear the band. Yeah. It was like going to a Beatles show. They were great. Yeah. Well, we, great. We'll, we'll make it happen. Yeah. I think if we bug enough people, Aiden, it'll happen. <laughs> get get everybody out there to, to, to start talking about it, chit-chatting on Twitter and, and, and Facebook and, the, you know, all the other nonsense out there. Well, you know, you know, hey, uh, you know, uh, manifestation works mm -hmm. yeah what do you call that yeah 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 you, you put it out you, it, yeah, yeah you put it out in the universe it's gonna work <laughs> well man I, dude thank you so much for your time we you and i have never met uh but we're gonna cross paths soon I feel like i've known you for years i know right i've, I've heard the stories that you know your name <laughs> always comes up in conversation oh, and dear, i just I'm say sorry. yeah like i just say yeah i know aiden <laughs> But man, well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. I, I'm I'm thrilled to have the opportunity. I, I so much appreciate you actually asking me. Um, I haven't done much like this, and um, it's it's great. I, I I feel that I feel that somebody cares. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try I try and keep this, you know, just very, you know, like I, I I've said this in the last couple of interviews, like. I, when I first started, I came in with questions and then I realized I didn't ask any of those. Cause once the conversation <laughs> starts, you don't want to yeah. interrupt it with a stupid question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that, I hope that you've got some, some stuff that, that is interesting. Um, you know, I hope that I answered you clearly and concisely and that, uh, all of our friends out there, um, uh, you know, get a get a feeling for who I am and and why I am, and uh, you know, I, I look forward to seeing you face to face. Yeah, and, man. Uh, yeah, we'll share a meal. Share a meal, and and hopefully one day share a tour. Right on, dude. That's that's the goal. Yeah, I got. I have one more in question. Yeah. One more question. This is the most important. Um, you know, it's called is breakfast included? And if it was, what would you have? Ooh, if. Uh, breakfast included. Uh, I'm a big fan of chorizo and eggs. Dude, I just bought some chorizo today. Ah, yes. I was looking up like, of course, I'm, you know, I grew up eating chorizo and eggs. <laughs> but today I was at the grocery store and I was like, man, I'm going to make that this week. That's fucking man, crazy. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and eggs Benedict is my other uh, weakness. You know, um, there's a place. So we've been tossing around the idea of relocating at some point and maybe going down to South Carolina. Uh, uh -huh. There's a town town called Aiken. Uh, my wife wants to have horses and uh, I don't know how that's all going to play out, but we were down there looking at properties last year and we stumbled into this little diner called Metro diner. Uh, and there's a few of them, I guess on the East coast had never heard of it. They've got fried chicken eggs, Benedict in that place. Holy crap. And it's, it, it's a, a plate of food that's worthy of at least two people. But I, I would say that that that's probably got it for me for, for my favorite breakfast ever. All right. Oh man. Oh man. But yeah, chorizo and eggs as well. You know, I know you can't go wrong with that. Mm -mm.
eat it no too problem. much, you know, you <laughs> might have a problem with your arteries. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, man, I, I like I said, I appreciate your time, and it was it's great to talk to you, man. You as well, Bernie. Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year. Um, I hope to see you soon. Uh, I hope that the holidays are great for you and 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 yours. Um, it's a a time of year that I thoroughly enjoy, um, and it's always stressful. But uh, you know, all of a sudden, then Christmas Day is here, and I can finally catch my breath. But uh, yeah, enjoy it. Great to talk to you. Thanks for thinking of me, and thanks for having me on. You too, brother. Have a merry Christmas. Thank you. All, all right. right, I'll talk to you soon, pal. All right, bye. Take care. Bye. Right on, Aiden Mullen. Great guy, huh? We could have gone on and on and on um, with him about his career. Uh, I really love his take on the touring and music industry. Uh, he's spot on there. Uh, if you want to see Aiden, he's out with Def Leppard on their tour with Motley Crue this next year. Um, just look over to stage right, man, and you might see him. You might see him pop out. Anyway, all right, guys, I am done. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week.